Body Conversation, podcast number two. Why did we supersize? The opposite was supposed to happen when the diet and exercise revolution began 50 years ago. We expected to become supermen and superwomen, lean and sexy. Instead, we became fat and damaged. We altered our bodies and minds, and not for the better. We even created a new eating disorder, orthorexia, an obsession with the eat healthy mantra, a phrase that everyone accepts, even though it is ungrammatical and just plain wrong. Now also, there is water intoxication, not dehydration. Because if a little is good, then a lot is better, right? No wrong. Since the Weight Watchers launch in 1963, we have embraced food judging. We take it as normal to glorify some foods and then demonize others. One billion people are starving. But now there is some progress. Organized dieting is beginning to decline. The major companies are finding it harder to get people to pay for their programs and diet foods. So many of the truths have been challenged. Now a revisionist chat about how low-fat failed us is the big news. Calorie counting is retreating. After all, no one has ever seen a single calorie. In the 40s, people weren't fat. Diet gurus love to tell you how things were then. You've heard the narrative, we all ate wholesome food and everybody exercised. Sorry, that's not true. Do they tell you about food rationing during World War II? Can you believe that there were actual food shortages? Health clubs? People would have laughed. No one talked about health. Sweating? Women didn't do that. And men didn't want to smell. Deodorants were just becoming popular. Almost everything we ate was cooked with trans fat Crisco. I guess that's why the cakes and pies and cookies tasted so good. Our choices were limited. American cheese and cottage cheese and Swiss cheese were what we ate. Fish was a tasteless frozen flounder eaten on Fridays only. The Catholic Church made fish our penance. Six days a week, however, meat was on the plate. One of the three items, because something green, some starch, and some meat was the meal. So simple. After the war, people bought cars and driving them was an activity. Going out for a drive is what we called it. A friend's parents who emigrated to America from Europe after the war told this story. They would in the evening walk after their dinner. Their neighbors would drive by and stop to give them a ride, but they declined because they wanted to walk. Did their true blue American neighbors think, what a good idea? Now we can burn up those calories? 
No, because no one had ever heard of a cowrie, so we couldn't torch them. No, instead, we thought, wow, Europeans are strange for walking when they could ride. That was in 1950. Everything you've heard about how we were eating healthy and exercising all the time is not true. We didn't have video games on our phones, and most people didn't even have a TV, but we sat a lot. We read and played board games like Monopoly, and we rode in our new cars. We played card games like Canasta, and we talked and listened to the radio. And we smoked and drank hard liquor and didn't snack. Snacking was for toddlers. Women delivered four babies and each time went back to their pre-baby weight because we didn't have an extra large sizing option on QVC. The few women who did get heavy had to wear their maternity clothes. The false narrative how Wholesome and energetic we were, enabled the new diet exercise business to make trillions of dollars. There are only nine exercise moves and three food groups, but this new industry convinced the public to believe in the magic of thousands of diets and exercise routines. Remember Fit for Life? You probably forgot that one, but you know Atkins and South Beach and the Zone Food Delivery and the biggies, Weight Watchers, Jenny, Nutrisystems. Do you remember the Mediterranean diet? The raw food one? What about Dukin? Cabbage diet, gluten-free diet, apple cider diet, HGG diet, the sacred heart diet, macrobiotic diet, blood type diet, juice cleanses, and now keto and fasting. But there are hundreds more. And each one needed a recipe book, of course. More money for the economy. Bet you don't remember when everyone carried a pocket-sized calorie counter. A friend from the 70s who was obsessed with her weight never ate Chinese food because she couldn't figure out the calories even with her little booklet. Where are we today? Fewer people will spend money for diet books and pills and programs and foods. So bigger scams are needed. That's why Facebook and Instagram just announced they will crack down and refuse to accept ads for false weight loss claims. Apparently, it's only certifiable craziness that will get people to turn over their dwindling cash, especially when we know that a worldwide recession is coming and food shortages because of global warming are pretty much guaranteed. Everybody in this weight business has a story, and mine actually parallels the 40s and 50s, before people talked endlessly about diet and exercise. Marilyn Monroe was the ideal shape. Maybe some women wanted to look like Audrey Hepburn, but men wanted Monroe, and they didn't think either of the Hepburns was sexy. No one, of course, talked about his or her health. It was a young population. People retired at 65 and then disappeared. Young people were full of optimism because at this point, America had no competition. Europe was still recovering from the war. Japan was just beginning to come back. No one talks now about our big advantage then. No one said we were exceptional either. 
We wanted to be cool and hip, so everyone smoked because it was sexy. We also knew that smoking speeded up our metabolism, depressed our appetite, gave us something to put in our mouths, occupied our hands, and inhaling and exhaling all day, we didn't have time to stuff food in our mouths. Jackie Kennedy smoked, I smoked, everyone smoked. The few who didn't were still part of a smoking culture who needed dessert. We had cigs and brandy. What happened next is the Duchess of Windsor, an American, came out with this saying, you can never be too rich or too thin. That one became our mantra. Can you imagine anyone even repeating this today? We live by it. Another one was from Aristotle Onassis. He said, you can never be too rich or too tanned. As a result of that one, we mix baby oil and iodine together and slather this concoction on our bodies. And then we sat in the sun for hours with reflectors. So today we have skin cancer. So up to the late 50s, voluptuous beauty was the ideal. Too bad for skinny me. And there was no PC either. People would come up to me and say, you are skin and bones, eat something. They would pinch me and say, you look like a string bean. But then it changed. And soon getting really thin was the ticket. A very skinny British model called Twiggy arrived here and became the it girl. Soon after, I can almost still remember the day, somebody asked me, how do you keep your figure? And I had to look around because I couldn't believe they were talking to me. Are you talking to me? They were. So dieting began so women could look like Twiggy and me. Average sized women started to diet and they dieted and dieted to be skinny. Of course, no one knew anything about the body. Calories, carbohydrates, nutrients, hormones, set points, we knew nada. Today we don't even understand cortisol or fat cells or insulin resistance or anything hormonal. Our information then was kindergarten level, but that didn't stop women who wanted to diet. No one thought that dieting had a downside. Playing with your body was an adventure. No one thought changing your diet regularly was a problem or that abusive exercise could affect our joints. We just rushed ahead and spent money and grew the economy. Females were trying to lose 10 actual pounds. They might weigh 135 at five foot five and they wanted to be 125. Today I laugh when I see weight loss ads that say, Quote, oh, this diet is going to help you if you're struggling with 10 pounds, unquote. People are struggling with 30, 40, 50 pounds. We have a show called The 600-Pound Life. We have The Biggest Loser. No one is struggling with 10 pounds. So let's talk about the Hamwe method, which you've never heard of unless you're over 70. It states... A woman at five feet tall should weigh 100 pounds, and for every inch, another five pounds. Woman like me who is five foot six should weigh 130 pounds. 
unless if she is small-boned or a dancer or actress or model or TV personality. And if that 130-pound female adds 30 pounds, so she is now 160, then she is categorized as obese. That was what the family doctor said. Now we have the BMI formula. At five foot six, the female is not obese at 185 pounds. Did you hear me? Our government has to make sure we keep buying and buying more food, so they adjusted the BMI. It's called grading on the curve. But today we are too fat for Hamwe or BMI. No pounds measurement tells the story, so get rid of those scales. Only waistline circumference is realistic. The maximum waistline in Japan for a female is 35 and a male is 34. Men don't get pregnant. Today, the World Health Organization says that obesity will cost society more than smoking. Now we're getting serious. So the goal is to reduce the waistline and lose about 10% of total body weight. A woman weighing 200 pounds should lose 20 pounds to prevent full-out diabetes. This is a long, long way from females aiming to look like skinny models and then dieting and exercising like crazy. And it was crazy because it screwed up the bodies and now we have to deal with the damage. So the cure for a few extra pounds caused our supersizing. We really solved that problem, just as we did with pot smoking and imprisoning millions. I'm lucky I never got suckered into dieting, but I thought about it when I went to the Rancho de Puerta Spa in 1981 after the birth of my second son. The spa week started with a one-day optional liquid fast. My friends were doing it, so I thought I should join them. But by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, all I could think about was food. Dieting, having someone dictate to you what to eat, telling you what will taste good in your mouth is nuts. Even if the diet includes foods you like. People go on keto who like meat. Two days later, all they can think of is eating pasta. As for exercise, I tried the fat-burning stuff, including running. But having started with Pilates as my very first exercise in the 60s, I never could stick with boring, repetitive, painful routines. In another podcast, we will discuss that these routines are now thought to be bad for obese bodies. This is really a surprise. But there's more. Diet culture tells us to substitute one bad food for another supposedly good food. This game affected our taste and compromised our palates. This is why our practically limitless, mediocre tasting food is considered to be so delicious and also addictive. More on this disaster true in another podcast. Let's sum up. Number one, the Eat Healthy Exercise More formula did not benefit us. We know today that it is flawed. You can't burn off the binge calories by exercise. No one now agrees on what diet is healthy. The New York Times published an article this September 30th, written by Gina Colada, their major wellness journalist, with this title, 
Eat less meat, scientists said. Now some believe that was bad advice. It's a long article, but the startling admission is that, and I quote, its conclusions harm the credibility of nutrition science and erode public trust in scientific research, unquote. You bet it does. Number two, diet gurus and their friends in the media love to tell you how we used to eat, how our distant ancestor ate ages and ages ago. But they all choose to forget that the one activity humans did for thousands of years is smoke. That's a real change, not a fake we were burning up calories because our TVs didn't have remotes so we had to get up to change the channels, blah, blah, blah. Number three, health was not a sexy topic, so we never talked about it. Cancer was a whispered, the big C. We were a young demographic not thinking about aging. When health stores opened in New York in the early 70s, we ridiculed the staff who looked so pale and unhip. We were all about aesthetics. We measured the circumference of our thighs. Magazine published the perfect waist-to-hip ratio the perfect bus size and calf size. We had specific measurements. Look at the marvelous Mrs. Maisel TV show from Amazon to see this in action. Number four, we didn't have accommodating dress sizes, but we had dress codes. We had to dress. We could not wear anything anywhere. Number five, there was no PC. Thin women didn't want to be with fat ones. Letting yourself go was not an option. Number six, gluttony was considered a sin. Billy Graham and others lectured Americans about sinning. Number seven, food options were limited. Stores sold milk, plain milk, eventually skim milk, but no one could have imagined all the types of everything that crowd the shelves today. The options were so few Today we have 10 kinds of sweeteners. And number eight, food allergies. No one would admit to having one even if they might have one. And probably the least discussed issue was the manufactured promise that losing weight was life-changing. We were told it would fix everything. We were told our entire lives would be better. We came to think that everyone would like us more we would get a better job. We might even win the lottery. So if someone did lose weight, they soon realized that the promised benefits didn't materialize. Such a letdown. So regaining just happened. I remember a friend who became engaged and she ordered a custom-made wedding gown at the most expensive store in New York. Then for months and months, she dieted. I remember when she went for the final fitting and the dress was beautiful and she looked in the mirror and she said to me, I'm just a smaller me. The smaller me was a woman with narrow shoulders, flat chested, a small waist, which looked even smaller because she was naturally wide in the hip region. And she had very strong and large muscular legs and calves, plus big feet and they were flat too. She was also extraordinarily intelligent and sophisticated and cultivated 
and had great taste and was really excellent in her job and she had so many friends and was a terrific conversationalist and on and on and on. She just wasn't a knockout, even after months of dieting. The media told people they could have any shape body they wanted. In my 20s, I saw this was not true. The Pilates studio at Bendel's was where I exercised. Often I would be there with another woman. We had the same in JB initials and were similar in appearance. Since we had to wear pastel leotards without any tights, every tiny, tiny bulge was visible. I was five foot six and so was the other JB. We both weighed about 112. One day we stood up and we both faced the mirror at the foot bar of the reformer and I looked in the mirror and she looked in the mirror. And in that moment, I realized that the perfect body stared back at me, but it was hers, not mine. Her proportions were just better. And I guess that's what stopped me from beginning the diet dance, the one step forward and two steps back and beating up my body with exercise. When I went to my 50th college reunion, I saw women who used to be normal sized in 1963 who had sized up because they chose to run with the diet culture crowd instead of running in the opposite direction. My tip for you, download an app called 80 Bytes on iOS and Android, iPad and tablet. Use for a few days and see what you think. It's funny and laughter is the best medicine. Bye-bye.